Well, welcome. Welcome to the Bill Bennett Show. We're the podcast that translates Donald Trump. If he needs translation, he was pretty clear and direct in the State of the Union, I think. We take a look at the current administration. And we address the existential threats to America. Joining me today, Brian Kennedy. You know him well. He's the president of the American Strategy Group. I, by the way, am a fellow at the American Strategy Group here in Washington. Brian's also the chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger of China. We'll get his thoughts on the Iowa chaos for the Democrats, the State of the Union, President Trump... Latest on China, Lord knows what else to talk about. Super Bowl. Yeah, Super Bowl. Uh, First few things I'd like to discuss, so let me get into them. Well, Claude, you know, I am not sure I can think of a more consequential week, and I'm not going to lay in the weeds here. It started on Sunday with a fabulous Super Bowl. Right, yeah. Great game, right? Whiz. You know I'm an old Chiefs fan from uh-huh. way back. <laughs> 50 years ago, I bet on those Chiefs. Did you? Yeah, to beat the Vikings, Super mm-hmm. Bowl four, And uh, that was really, it was a st- stunning game. I-, I was surprised they came back, though. Well, I was rooting for them, but looked like San Francisco was just going to gash them to death. Yeah, well, I mean, Kansas City and the two previous playoff games were down double digits uh, to both yep. uh, Tennessee yep. and Houston. Uh, and came back, but Tennessee nor Houston have the defense that San Francisco has. Right. So I figured, okay, this this might be the one. And Mahomes was off. He yeah. was oh, not having a good three a quarters. horrible first three quarters. But yeah. the last six and a half minutes of the fourth. Six and a half minutes. And that's all it took. They were down They were down 20. Well, they were down 20 to 10 with six and a half minutes left in the fourth. I thought it was 7.23. It was six and a half. Just, yeah, maybe, maybe yeah. It was right around seven. Not a lot of time left. But I had forgotten because I was so intensely watching the game and I'd look a review of it. In the fourth quarter, was twenty to ten. They're down there on the eighteen yard line mm-hmm. or so, mm-hmm. and he throws an interception. Right, right. So I thought, man, that's it, because they had not been able to stop. How did they stop the Forty ers They had not been able to stop. When that guy got up to punt for the Forty ers mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter, it was the first time they punted. Right, right. And at that moment, I think the Forty ers defense, uh, you know, they do this thing where they run to the end zone and yeah. all post yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's this great thing going on around social media, and they show that picture, and it's five minutes later, and all the guys are on the bench with their heads down. I know. It was such a quick turnaround. But I did think that they were going to lose the game. Uh, but when they scored and got it 17-20, to 20 and they got the ball back, I said, okay, Mahomes, yeah. this, is, this is where you do it. This is where you, you, know, you say, okay, I am the next guy. I, I, I agree. I had less doubt about mm-hmm. them doing it because it looked like he found his mark. The thing that amazed me was that they were in the fourth quarter able to stop the 49ers right. twice when, and they had not been able to All do day. it. Yeah. And one thing that I noticed, I hadn't read anybody else commenting on it, is when they went to the pass, there were like three or four passes that were knocked down mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by Jones, Chris Jones. Right, right. I think his name is Chris. And uh, he just got his big, you know, meat hooks up there. Big and, guy, 95. And, uh, yeah, number and just knocked those passes down, and that was a big deal. And then Garoppolo overthrew. So um, that was really quite an amazing game. Okay. So we go, we're go. we going to talk about this with Brian Kennedy, and it'll, it'll be, you know, more cerebral. When we <laughs> so then we go from Sunday to Monday in the Iowa caucuses. I don't know what one says, but one of the best comments I heard on this is, this is the party that wants to run a country. <laughs> Can't run a caucus. You know, whatever you think of Iowa, they just lost it. They're, uh-huh. not, they're not first in the nation anymore. Yeah, no, a few funny headlines. I mean, there was one that said, Duh Moin. Yeah. Uh, D-U-H Moin. Duh. I mean, <laughs> duh. Duh. Duh Moin. Duh. That was the funniest one I saw. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, they're blaming this app and then the app didn't calculate this and then that. But then at the same time, it's so, well, 24 hours later, almost 24 hours later, you still don't have all the people counted or how, you know, all, all the. It, it, you're just wondering, how do you mess this up? It, it didn't catch anyone by surprise. Everyone knew the date, everyone knew what was happening. How do you mess the most basic thing up? Uh, it's just odd, and, it, and and you think there couldn't have been an easier kind of softball pitch to the president and to the Republicans heading into 2020 than just messing up the Iowa caucus for the Democrats. But Sanders has got to wonder whether they got it in for him. Well, yeah, I was thinking it's probably just a matter of time before uh, the Bernie-Sanders uh, uh, tribe thinks that, okay, here we go again, and they're going to start. You know, and, and they caused an uproar convention for That's the right. most part, but they calmed down. If, if they feel it this year, you can count on the fact that they're not going to calm down this year. No, 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 they're, you know, no, they're, they're, they're sticking to it to the end. But, uh, you know, he has some reasons. There's a great quote of, I think it's Richard Wilbur, even paranoids have enemies. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's real. Yeah. And he's got to believe that. Do you think that he'll then play into the fact that, well, we can't trust this count? I mean, how do we trust him? Maybe, yeah, maybe. Uh, I, I don't, I, I think that's hard to make. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. This, they'll say, oh, just discount. Even Iowa. though, I just mean, cross out he, Iowa. Right. No, matter. absolutely. I mean, I, I feel as if he probably would have finished around fourth anyway if this whole thing didn't happen. But now that it happened, I mean, it almost plays into his hand. It's like, well, I, you know, yeah, that's what happened, but I don't think that these numbers are right. Look at how they messed it up. Discount Iowa, start fresh in New Hampshire. I don't know how that does Biden any good if he finishes fourth again. Right, right. So, uh, you know, a lot of the so-called smart pundits are saying the guy who won the Iowa caucuses was Mike Bloomberg. Yeah, yeah. Because this shows there isn't really any body that, you know, everybody's decided on. I was watching Chris Matthews on MSNBC. He's a neighbor, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, he uh, he said, uh, I just don't like the field. I just don't think we have anybody in this field. No one field. does. No one likes the field. Meantime, president approached 50%. He got 49% in the Gallup poll. Mm-hmm. All sorts of great numbers in terms of the economy and other things. So that's uh, Monday, and that's Tuesday. We have the State of the Union. <laughs> he gave a great speech, never mentioned uh, uh, impeachment. Which was right by him. He should Right. Have. And hit it hard. And, of course, the news story out of there was Nancy Pelosi mm-hmm. just being a total exhibitionist and tearing up her copy right. of the State of the Union on, on, on TV in front of everybody to show her contempt for it and for him. And uh, it's pretty ugly. Yeah, I'm not sure if she wins any points there. And, I mean, when you think about it, how counterproductive is it if you are not a fan of the president and you don't like his policies, then why would you do something on the State of the Union night that would take all attention off of what he says and put it on you yeah i don't know what do you want the attention on what he says crazy, but, crazy. No, anyway we shall see uh and uh we'll go over all this with brian kennedy like i said it'll be a little smarter with brian and uh we welcome your reactions and if people want to react to any of this oh easy you know the week that was the week that started february 2nd with the super bowl uh, followed by the Iowa caucuses, followed by the State of the Union, followed by the vote for acquittal or conviction. Please write us. How do they do that, though? I have no idea. Sure, send an email to Bill I know Bennett. you didn't comment on that right. when I said I have no idea. <laughs> you, you know. BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Although our buddy uh, who sent in the uh, Vince Lombardi quotes will not like the fact that you opened up with the Super Bowl today because he said he doesn't like when we talk about sports. Even though 
yeah. sent an email full of Vince Lombardi quotes. Yeah, but they were about life, I guess I'd say. <laughs> All right, let's go talk to Brian. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. All right, let's jump in with Brian Kennedy, president of the American Strategy Group, chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger, China. Brian, thanks for your time today. Bill, how are you? All right, a lot of ground to cover here. A lot of ground. So we uh, introduced you, and in my opening, I was just saying, man, what a week. What a week. Uh, And uh, gave my thoughts, impressions, uh, analyses a little bit, and I said we'd get smarter here as we got Brian Kennedy on the phone, go over some of the same stuff. But uh, let's start with the lower IQ. Well, maybe not, um, because it does require careful analysis. Super Bowl 54, what do you think? Uh, what a great game that was, wasn't yeah, it? I mean, yeah, Patrick yeah. Mahomes, the Chiefs, I thought that uh, that was one of the great, exciting comebacks of all time. It was looking pretty grim there for the Chiefs. I thought they were going to lose. Those, la- those last yeah. six minutes, I-, I did too. I did too. Yeah. But uh, they came back, and, and uh, but what I liked was it was an entertaining Super Bowl. They're not always entertaining. That's right. That's right. This one was, this one was, this one was entertaining. It was, and, um, you know, the, the miraculous thing to me was not so much Mahomes bringing him down the field. I, every time he gets the ball, I have kind of a 50-50 chance, I think, of him scoring. But all of a sudden, they were able to stop the, the San Francisco offense. A guy got out there to punt for San Francisco. I think it was the first time or second time he's on the field. Uh, the, but somehow they did it. I know one thing is they, they, they had one defensive end or tackle, Chris Jones, who was knocking passes down at the end. And that was a big, uh, big help. But Mahomes is an incredible talent and uh, good for them. And I'm an old Chiefs fan, been a Chiefs fan for a long time. So, yeah, very entertaining Super Bowl. Very good Super Bowl. Absolutely. All right, let's uh, let's move on. So following the Super Bowl, we have the Iowa caucus, sort of. Uh, the comment I heard this morning, Brian, and we're going to have a conversation about all these things, is uh, the guy said, uh, this is the party that wants to run a country and they can't run a caucus. I think it was a great blessing uh, myself, the whole thing, because it illustrates the problems of technology and using technology to interfere with or, or to, to try to run one of these elections. Now, they said they did everything on paper, but then they, they put it into a computer system, then they put it into an app. Well, this illustrates that these apps don't work, or maybe these apps can be manipulated. And I think it's an illustration that the, the way we've been voting in the past may, may have worked just fine. I worry about these apps and this technology. Uh, I think, isn't it the state of Washington is talking about using mobile voting this way? Yeah. I think it'd just be an an awful thing, and I think uh, this illustrates that that you actually have to go and push a button and and or you know punch a ticket and and do it the proper way. But yeah, you're absolutely right. They couldn't even figure that part of it out. Yeah, um, really, uh, really unusual. Really, uh, a, a couple of thoughts. I think I was lost its first in the nation status. I don't think they'll be leading again. Uh, it also may be the case that there are no more caucus states. I'm, People will stop caucusing. Too complicated. And um, third, uh, you and I, and I know, I know it's the case for both of us because we're good friends. We talk all the time. You and I both believe uh, early on that Bernie Sanders would be the nominee, and I still do. Do you? Absolutely. And the reason is he animates. He, he's authentic. You may not like him. You may not like his policies. As the president says, 
he seems like a communist or he is a communist, but you know exactly where Bernie stands. And I think the, I think the Democrats who like him, and I think there's a lot of them, I think that's what they think. He's authentic. Whereas Elizabeth Warren, Pocahontas, part Cherokee Indian, you know, has this elaborate backstory to justify her politics. She looks kind of manufactured. And Joe Biden has a long history of not telling the truth, let's say, when it comes to his political background. Whereas Bernie Sanders, what you see is what you get. Yeah. And people like that. And I think I think for that reason he'll he'll he has a very strong chance of being the nominee, assuming they don't try to the Democrats don't try to find a way of overruling the will of the the uh, rest of the Democrats in their party. Yeah, well, I was saying, of course, Bernie, you know, had that last time around, you know, lost by a hair to uh, to Hillary Clinton in Iowa. And, you know, he's got some reason to wonder about this thing. You know, what, what's the great expression? Even paranoids have enemies. And, uh, you know, <laughs> right, he's, right. he's a little paranoid. Well, okay. and he's, you know, who knows what they did? But um, go ahead. No, I was going to say the... Uh because of all this impeachment stuff, and I know we make it into that later, but because of all this impeachment stuff, uh, Joe Biden had Iowa mostly to himself. Him and uh, Pete Buttigieg had, had Iowa to themselves. So a lot of people in Iowa over the last two and a half weeks got to see Joe Biden and meet him and talk to him. And he came in fourth. Yeah, that's a great point. Not only, I mean, everybody's been focusing on the fact that he came in fourth, which is disappointing, but he had the state to himself, uh, except for Buttigieg and a couple other uh, and the also more, reds. And the more they, and the more they, and the more they saw him, yeah. the less they liked him. Well, what about Pete Buttigieg, who took away uh, the most delegates? What about that? What are his presidential prospects? I'll just tell you the answer. You want the answer? It ain't gonna. Please, happen. yes. It ain't gonna happen. It's just not gonna happen. I don't think so. Uh, my, my theme about Buttigieg, though, it's been all along. He's very polite, and you know, being polite goes pretty far in America yeah, yeah. and in American politics. And he seems authentic too, for what it's worth. I think I think his ideas are, you know, deeply confused, like Bernie Sanders, uh, and he's a, a leftist of you know, kind of the worst stripe because he masquerades in this sort of academic veneer that he's you know just good public policy when in fact he's a radical too. But he says it in such a nice, polite way. I can see where a lot of people are going to give him a listen to. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm just thinking as you're talking, uh, you're right. You know, there's a way in which he, his leftism, and it comes out often, not always, but often, is he seems to have a kind of authentic, self-authored quality, unlike the imitative uh, leftism, socialism of, of Warren and even Biden and you know Castro when he was there and others. I mean, I, I go back to go back to Bernie Sanders. He's the father Abraham of you know the socialism here, and the others. <laughs> the, the other, you know, I mean, he, yeah, give him credit. He originated it, you know, and you know the others seem like imitators, but Buttigieg somehow doesn't because you get a sense of a, of a smart guy, a thoughtful guy who's you know th- thought about all these things on his own, huh? And yes, delivers it in a very nice style. That niceness is is a thing in um, in America. People like the, a person who's nice, and so that could that could help them in a, in a match against Trump. But it just ain't going to happen for a whole variety of reasons. And, and I also think the fact that he's openly gay and married has a certain um, you know he's gay, and so you kind of think, well, this guy has nothing to hide. 
he's telling us every, everything about himself he could. And so if he's going to be that open with me, maybe I'll listen to what he has to say. That's and he's young and he's energetic. He's young and energetic compared to, you know, Bernie, Bernie Sanders, who's one, you know, donut away from another heart attack. One donut away. And Biden, and Biden, who, you know, just seems to be deteriorating in front of everyone's eyes. So <laughs> One donut away and deteriorating in front of everyone's eyes. Well, you don't know how that sounds to a mid-70s guy, but fair enough. Fair no, I think you're right. I will say this for Bernie, though. He may be one donut away, and he did have the heart attack. But he is energetic. Oh, he's he's energetic. Uh, and he's, he's out angry. there. He's, ang- he's angry. Yeah. yeah. He, is one, he is one angry communist. Yeah, you know what I heard? I hadn't heard this before. Did you know this? When he was elected mayor of Burlington, Vermont, that he got a congratulatory letter from some high-ranking official in the Soviet Union? Um, this was during the Cold War. I had, I, I think, I had heard that, and it makes perfect sense because they, you know, during the Cold War, they were reaching out to everyone yeah. who was sympathetic to their point of view. Yeah, and he was, and of, course, of course, and of course, he was. He, he, he went on his honeymoon there, and who goes on their honeymoon to Moscow? Yeah, I mean, quite apart from the not- politics of it, what you know, we're going to see the Gulag. I mean, what, you know what. Pictures here. A lot of people not, have the Grand Canyon. We have the Grand Gulag. I guess St. Petersburg. Vermont, is, Vermont, is Vermont not cold enough for yeah, you? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> really? You had to go to Moscow? Yeah. I mean. Okay, so, but the reason is he's going to get it is, first of all, he's, he's, he's got an authentic set of beliefs that appeal to a lot of people. They're totally nuts, um, these beliefs uh, and ideas, but uh, they appeal to a lot of people, particularly young people. He's going to win in New Hampshire. Uh, he's going to do okay on, uh, you know, in Nevada and I don't know about South Carolina, but super Tuesday, I, I can't see him not doing well in your state, California. He will, won't he? I would certainly think so. Yeah. I mean, California is, is, is genuinely crazy. And so there's no reason, no, no reason not to. I think the other thing Bernie captures, however, uh, and, Elizabeth Warren never does this, nor does Biden. In American politics at its best, there's always a framing of a moral argument, and there's always a question of justice. And if you listen to Bernie long enough, there's always a question of justice at stake. The rich are doing X, Y, and Z. The corporations are doing this. Wall Street's doing this. And they're doing it, and they're profiting, and they're hurting you, the average American. And if you elect me, I will bring justice to that system. Yeah. And that is that is powerful. People want fairness. They want justice. They do think Wall Street's getting away with something. And they may not understand corporations and taxation, but they know that they're getting that there are people on Wall Street getting rich and they may not be. And so Bernie is tapped into making an argument to those people. And that's powerful. Well, and that's, so he's not to be under he's not to be underestimated. Yeah, and as we'll get into it when we talk about China, there's some there's some arguments about Wall Street that where, you know, one could understand the reason for some criticism, some pretty harsh criticism. So No, absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll talk absolutely about that. And, yeah, no, absolutely. He'll he'll hang on and I mean quite apart from that the appeal of his arguments which you're just mentioning, the sheer numbers, he's going to get 15%, you know, in all these states. 
So he's going to the convention, and then when they get there, his people are not going to deal. They're not going to trade. They're not going to give up uh, give up the Bernie candidacy. I mean, they felt they got shafted last time, which they did, and uh, they're not going to let it happen again. And who's you know who's to challenge him? Warren seems to be weakening. Biden may be out of it uh, by then. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know if he is. Yeah, you want you, you want you wonder whether Barack Obama will. Uh will hold true to his reported assertion that he would he would go after Bernie if Bernie looked like he'd be the nominee. Yeah, I, yeah, we'll see. I mean, what would what how how would that play out though, if he did that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think he'd dislodge the loyalists. He may dislodge the people who, you know, waited both ways and decided to go with Bernie. You know, if they're weak Bernie supporters, I don't know. Anyway, or, um, or, Bern, or Bernie separates and runs runs as an independent or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if, if you if you irritate him enough, I think. You know, that, or, if it, or if it really looked that much, that unfair. I think it could be a very tough race. I actually believe that you know I don't think Trump destroys Sanders. I think he beats Sanders, but I think it could be a tough race. Yeah, it's a it's a very difficult thing to uh, our, our politics has become very mercurial in some ways that you don't know what would happen. You know, what if Bernie Sanders picks some military hero as his number two, right? Yeah. General Mattis or some somebody like that. And it looked like he was embracing a part of America that was more stable and centrist. I, I doubt he would, but he could. And all sorts of things start playing into it. And you never know. Never know. So if you can combine if you can combine Bernie Sanders message of social justice, however however confused that might be at times, with something stable and centrist like a military general, I think the door's wide open. Yeah. yeah now yeah. on the other on the other hand, the economy is just rolling along here. And try as they might, I don't think people are going to be persuaded that this is not a booming economy. Right. Because they're seeing it in their lives. They're buying cars. They're buying homes. They're buying stuff. They're going on vacation, and they know things are going pretty well. And they look around the world, and the president's absolutely right. People see America in a different light, and the American people feel that. And they know that it's a dangerous world, and it really is us versus them at times. You know, we'll talk about China later, but they look at Trump and they think he's on our side, he's fighting for us. He's rebuilding the military. He's doing all these things. Is Bernie Sanders going to do that? I don't yeah. think so. Yeah. Is Elizabeth Warren? I don't think so. You know, lots made. So, yeah, it may it may be close, but it may not be either. Yeah, lots made by the Democrats. I've heard this come up several times. Oh, but the suburban women, the suburban women. And I agree, uh, the president has a problem with suburban women. But suburban women, uh, who might even take the economy for granted, they just expect things to go well for them in the suburbs. But are they going to buy Bernie? I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think in really large numbers. But uh, you know, look, you know, there's a celebration of uh, of the president hitting forty nine percent in the Gallup approval, which is fine. But given the record, it should be sixty five. You know. Right. But on the other hand, Americans are busy working and doing all these things that they're not they're not, you know, maybe, you know, to, to argue against something maybe I just said, they, they feel things more than they understand things 
you know, from, from actual knowledge. They can sense things are better around them, but they, they don't read the New York Times and they don't read the, you know, websites that, that matter. I mean, you know, 5 million people may read a certain thing, maybe 10 million. 20 million people will listen to Rush Limbaugh. Fox News will have 3 million people on a given night. 128 million people voted. 125 million people voted last time. So people get their knowledge in in dribs and drabs. The question is, do they feel like they're doing better? And I think most Americans do. We, We talk about suburban, you know, the suburban woman vote. I was getting my coffee this morning at the little coffee shop down the street, and I was wearing my MAGA hat. And there's a sub, you know suburban ladies there, and they both looked at me and they said, "Nice hat." Uh-huh. And that's Southern Cal- that's Southern California. Wow, you go out in public so, with that, huh? Well, I was inspired by Larry David. Have you oh, seen, yeah, that, have you seen the, that that episode? The, the, the latest series of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, he wears a maga. He wears a maga hat in order to you know offend the people around him. I was actually wearing my maga hat just because the president did such a great job last night. Yeah, yeah, and he wears I, the maga I, I hat because he because he doesn't want to have a long lunch with a guy. Right, and, and he right. knows the guy will just be totally bothered by the maga hat. I wore my mega hat because I was going to be talking to you. Well, so. okay, that's good. Well, I, you know, I, ta- I talked about this with our mutual friend Seth Liebson, whom a lot of our listeners listen to on his show, and he said, "Well, this is real." He said he has a friend, a woman, a very staunch uh, a Trump supporter, who um, gets on the plane and gets in a row and puts on her mega hat, and she she reports half the time the seat next to her remains empty. Well, there you go. And go. so Ameri- Ameri- Americans are divided. Yeah. I-, I just don't buy the argument that these suburban women are. There's a lot of suburban women who are yep. Yep. moms and yes. they have husbands who have jobs and they work and they have kids who go to school and they want a prosperous, safe America. Donald Trump's giving them that today. Let's talk about State That's of the great. Union. It was a good one, wasn't it? It was a real good one. I thought maybe the best. What did you think? You've seen, you've, you've seen the ones up close and personal under Ronald Reagan. You must have, you must have been there I, I in was. the chamber during Reagan. Well, I was a couple, except for the times I was the odd man out, you know, and I had to fly to someplace in case the Capitol exploded. Um, I was often the, uh, what's the name of that TV show? Oh, designated, designated survivor. survivor. Designated survivor. I was the designated survivor a couple times. Cabinet, yeah. But, yeah, no, I was there. Um, I... I, you know, I can't remember. I just can't remember. I know Reagan gave several really stunning ones, and I thought President uh, Trump's speech last time was great. But I thought this was very solid, very good, and very moving. And I, let me say a word. You mentioned him, and Claude was asking me this morning about Rush, and uh, just really so sad to hear that about Rush. I mean, he is a national resource and an institution. And as a lot of people have said, paved the way in radio for conservatives, including me and my show and many others. But um, I wrote him a note and, you know, correspond. But, uh, you know, we hope for the best there. I, I, I don't know any more about it except, you know, advanced stage four lung cancer is bad. It's really bad. Well, I thought that I was, I was wondering whether that's why the president gave him the, the uh, Medal of Freedom last night. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because of time. Yeah, just as opposed to waiting. But it, it uh, one rush is a national hero and well deserving of that, and has done a done a phenomenal job 
over the years in radio. I mean, transformative. I mean, he, he has been the, he has been the voice of conservative stability. Let's just say over the years, he never wavered. Yeah. And if you look at, if you look at everything Rush has said over the years, he really, I can't, I can't recall a time when he put a foot wrong, at least in my mind. No, no, he's, he gets it, he gets it right. And he gets it right often way ahead of other people and uh, enormous influence. Uh, Enormous power. Aristotle says power is the ability to be and make things be, and he's made a lot of things be, and uh, good for him, and we pray for him and wish him well. Well, the president ticked off all these accomplishments, and uh, he's right. I read the first thing I read this morning, I got up and read uh, Politico's review of, you know, fact-checking, and, you know, they quibbled on a few things, and a couple things they said were wrong, but... They actually acknowledged on the fact-checking most of what he said was uh, either fully true or mostly true. And uh, and and that's true. Um, come a long way. Um, I was interested in the foreign policy part. wondered what you thought about that because I want to want to get into talking about China here. Uh, yeah, I thought, I thought, first of all, overall, the speech was great. It was positive. It looked orchestrated by a man who understood television and communications and media. He combined all the right sentiments, right? He had the young, that remember that young man who wanted to be an astronaut, and he had his grandfather there, yeah. great-grandfather yeah. there, who yeah. had been a Tuskegee Airman. God, that was, that was brilliant. Yeah. One, that guy deserved, that Tuskegee Airman deserved to be honored. Number one, that was great. Um, but the idea that he would he would juxtapose the young and the old there was, yep. I thought, beautifully yep. done, brilliant, and, yep. and, in, and in just and in just the right way. And then reuniting that, you know, he had the he had the the really sad moment where you had the the mom, the blonde haired mom with a child who had lost her husband, yeah, over in Iraq because of Soleimani. And they talked about going after Suleimani. Yeah. And I thought I thought that was very just from a political point of view, we talk about foreign policy. The president was saying to the American people, when you send your young men and women out to fight for our country and somebody hurts them or kills them, I'm gonna go after them. Yeah. And Suleimani did that and I killed him. I think you said anybody that- watching Anybody watching at home would have thought, "That's my president." Yeah. He said if you if you harm an American citizen, you're going to die. I think he said that. Right. You lose your life. Right. Um, right. China. You are chairman of the committee on the present danger, China, and I just want to get your perspective on China, as we always do. But just a couple of particulars. Um, the coronavirus. Is this a scheme by the Chinese. Uh, I was reading one comment this morning saying, you know, they don't do it right. They, they're they doing better on the coronavirus than they did on SARS, but this isn't some uh, pestilence they've released into the world in order to kill us, is it? Uh, well, I hope not. Uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer, but I hope not. Uh, I was struck by, I think it was Foreign Affairs Magazine as a website, and they asserted last week sometime not to worry. This is not biowarfare. Now, how would they know that? <laughs> how could anybody assert this is, you know, that they would have intimate knowledge of anything when it came to the coronavirus? I don't think it's biowarfare. I certainly hope it's not biowarfare. But 
We don't know what the Chinese think. We do know as a matter of policy, policy, when they wrote a book back in 1999 called Unrestricted Warfare, that biowarfare was one of the methods they would use to go after the West. Well, this has infected China. Again, I don't think this is any kind of biological attack, but who knows? At minimum, what they haven't done here is allowed the United States and our Center for Disease Control into China to actually figure out what's going on. Yeah, yeah, we, offered, we, we offered help. They have denied it. Yeah. I was in the White House. I was in the White House last Thursday, actually, meeting with the National Security Council and discussing this. And I think it's fair to say they don't know. What they do know is this is serious and that we ought not to be putting the American people at risk. But the, the president has done a very bold thing here by closing down the United States to Chinese nationals who've been gone more than 14 days. Yeah. Absolutely. The president, I, I believe over the objections of quite a few people in the White House, mostly probably the economic guys, they did not want the borders closed. Well, our friend, Absolutely Tom, did Cotton, not. Our friend Tom Cotton was pushing, right? Pushing hard for this. Tom, yeah, yeah. And Tom Cotton was pushing it very hard, as was um, almost anyone with any common sense. Yeah. Right. <laughs> because Tom's, Tom's argument was, you know, an ounce of prevention was, you know, cheaper than a pound of cure and just easier to do. And we don't know what's all what's going on here. So let's close the border down if temporarily and figure out, you know, how serious this actually is. The fact that the Chinese arrested the doctors in Wuhan who were actually concerned about the outbreak and warning people about the outbreak should be some should cause everyone concern. But I, w- I would say this, uh, and uh, I've become as paranoid about China as uh, as anyone, well, maybe not anyone, but asking you here as the chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger, China, it, it, I'd say this, if this was bio-warfare, they're usually better at what they plan than this. You know, this was not an efficient way to do it. Well, it all depends. This could have been a dry run, quote-unquote. Uh, sure. Not 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 so dry in the sense that people actually are getting sick and dying, but a test run in any in any case. Yeah, right. They may they may have wanted to see how how the United States or the West responded okay. in the case of this virus. All right, I'll maintain my paranoia. All right, uh, but you know, in a more yeah, well, in a more obvious way, I wrote you about this uh, as soon as I read about it. You know, the the ways in which they they are you know getting their their grip on things in the United States. I mean, I was, I was shocked. Two things. The story about the chairman of the chemistry department, not a Chinese person, uh, native born American, uh, professor Lieber, I think chairman of chemistry and biochemistry. Well respected. I mean, he's, he's, he's working for the Chinese, uh, on nanosciences and all sorts of very sensitive stuff at Harvard. I mean, what the hell's going well, on here? Well, look, the, the Chinese are are stealing our intellectual property, and what they can't steal, they will illegally buy from us. Um, but you know, Lieber was getting—he was part of that Thousand Talents program that the Chinese have to recruit Americans in the technology space um, under fifty-five years old. 
And they were paying him, I think, 50000 a month. That's Hunter Biden kind of money. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's big money. That's right. That's right. No, now, the, the, the reports I read, 50000 a month and living annual living expenses up to 158000 and awarded $1.5 million to establish a research lab at Wuhan University of Technology. So they were paying him a lot of money to do all this. And of course, money talks, and it was improper for him to do it. He didn't, he wasn't honest about it and hadn't informed the university properly. And there are certain, there are certain tech, you know, technological uh, pieces of this that probably require a lot of export control and, and, uh, you know, certain regulatory things that they have to do here. So he was violating all of those things, it appears. But the Chinese are serious about becoming the preeminent military power and economic power on Earth. And they're going to stop at nothing to make that a reality. And so if they need to figure something out, what better place to go to than Harvard? And if the guy is not readily going to give, if they can't steal it from him, look, they'll just pay him. And it's a pretty minor investment on their part. And what do they get out of it? They get a first class chemistry laboratory over in China. Yeah, but I, so, I, was, I was thinking of this not just in, in its own terms and its own value, what you just described, but as kind of paradigmatic of what they're doing in you know, universities, what they're doing, trying to do on Wall Street, back to what we were saying earlier. I mean, they got their talons, they got their tentacles on, on a lot of, of pieces of American life. Right, because they know that the United States is the producer of a lot of intellectual property. We, we're the creative center of the world. And so they're going to come here and they're going to want to know everything that goes on. And they're going to want to take advantage of our freedom and creativity and all the business things that emerge from all that creativity. And so that's just, that's just good business on their part. Yeah. They know we're, they know we're the ones that can figure this out. So let's, let's, uh, Let's get deep into American society. And the way they do it is is by they've mainstreamed, them, mainstreamed themselves so well. They become part of all these universities with their Confucius Institutes, and they fund all these research positions, and they have how many? 350,000 students in American universities. And so Chinese students are everywhere. So the combination of the students, the funding, the you know professors who are who are part of part of their broader you know thousand talent program, what have you, they are everywhere, and they seem just to be part of the mosaic of American academia and not controversial. When in fact they're using this to to steal our intellectual property. The interesting thing, by the way, I mean, I, I found. Um, you had U.S. Attorney Andrew Lelling when he was indicting both or uh, charging both Lieber and the other person at Boston University. He, this is a Boston FBI agent. He says, you had the U.S. Attorney said this was a small sample of China's ongoing campaign to siphon off America's technology and know-how for its country's gain. Okay, that, that, that's pretty nondescript. But then you had the Boston FBI agent who also spoke at this, and he said, quote, no country poses a greater, more severe, 
or long-term threat to our national security and economic prosperity of China. He says, China's communist government's goal, simply put, is to replace the U.S. as the world power, and they are breaking the law to get there. And so no, no simple, you know, Lieber did this or that. He's making a big political statement that American, Americans better wake up to the fact that China is here, they're an economic war with us, and that this is their way to achieve it. All right, now I, I, I was very, I was very impressed by it. I am too. The question is: Is that echoed? Are you satisfied? As again, chairman of uh, committee on the present danger, of China. Are you satisfied that that sentiment is echoed in Washington? Does the president understand that? Is the response of our government, our administration to China, um, consistent with that and strong enough to 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 the Chinese? You know, I, I certainly think that's a great question, Bill. Uh, I certainly think the president thinks they're a problem. Um, and he is in conflict with all those other parts of his government that are trying to do business with China. So you have the Commerce Department and the Treasury Department who are very eager to have good ongoing relations with China. And then you have the Justice Department and parts of the intelligence community who concern themselves with this. And they see all of China's nefarious doings. And so the president is trying to balance those two things. You will have peace, you know, part of the FBI investigating this, the field office. They see this going on. They go do something about it. That's great. But then you have the political types in Washington, I think, getting better now, now that Bill Barr's our attorney general. And slowly, he's remaking, I think, the FBI and the Justice Department into a Trump Justice Department. And so I think you are seeing that the serious parts of the government are doing the right thing. But to be clear, they're going to be battling the economic parts of our government who don't want bad stories when it comes to China because they want more trade deals and they want, you know, to come to Wall Street for, you know, public offerings for their companies and new sovereign debt offerings and all sorts of economic things that the, the more Wall Street friendly parts of our government want to be uh, sensitive to. But the president, you know, to his credit, to his immense credit, uh, when I was, as I say, when I was in the White House the other day on Thursday, the, the gentleman I spoke with said, you know, it's a very, very minority view here in the White House right now that we ought to close the border down. Wow. Now, tw- 24 hours later, the border is closed down. Right. Because the president, the president, when presented with the facts, did the right thing, which you would expect him, which you would expect him to do. So that even though there is this conflict, President Trump has been showing just fabulous leadership here. And so assuming he continues to get all the right facts, he will continue to do the right thing. And it's the job of, I think, people like us to make sure that those facts are out there in public as much as possible so that Americans can, can understand this and be giving him that kind of feedback. And here's a case where that, where that worked. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We need to wrap it up. A very consequential uh, week. Um, and it's not over. Uh, and we will have a decision. We'll have an acquittal. I'm, I'm confident this afternoon at the state of the union, at the Iowa caucus, um, talked about these news items, the coronavirus, the, Chinese uh, 
efforts here to, to gain more ground in the United States, President's resistance. It's just one thought. It's amazing to me how much he is able to do at his age uh, with all that's on him and with all the critics he has, not just the media and the Democrats, but going off your last point, people inside his own White House. And, you know, all these Lilliputians who are, you know, got their little strings trying to tie Gul- Gul- Gulliver down. And Gulliver keeps breaking the strings and doing a lot of the really, really good things. It's a very important time in our government. I keep thinking about our mutual friend Gary Bauer, who said at a dinner I was at at, uh, at uh, the vice president's house. He said, look I, look, I celebrate Donald Trump, and, you know, I think he's doing great, but is this just a reprieve, a temporary reprieve? From the long march to the left that, you know, this country appears to be on, if we take what we were saying earlier, Brian, you know, the, the popularity of a, of, a, of, a, of a declared, you know, a democratic socialist. So I, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm very grateful that he's there and this election is, dare one say it, the most consequential in our lifetime. Well, court, yeah, no, I think that's a great observation. Um, I don't know if this is just a reprieve. But I do know is it's our job to make sure it's not a reprieve. Politics is always about slugging it out every day and making arguments to people. And, you know, it's not as if Donald Trump is going to fix this all by himself. And he's not going to fix it in one or five years. It's going to require Americans understanding what's at stake here and that their country is going to be lost. And right now, Donald Trump is our champion, and we should rally to him and help him defend the country. Yeah. But after Donald Trump, it would be our job to find someone else. And maybe it's, it's you know, there'll, there'll be citizens out there right now we whose name we don't even know who will step up. And there'll be congressmen and senators and the president someday. And it'll be their job to defend this country. There's a lot of talent out there. You and I know a lot of talented people in the Congress, in the administration. And, um, I agree with you. Need to be rallied, but you know, an irony here. You know, the Obama administration, which wanted to transform the country, you know, wanted the transformation of American society. Donald Trump just said, "I want to make America great again." He may have affected by the time he's done a greater transformation of American society by bringing us back to where we you know, should be than uh, any transformation that uh, Obama, President Obama, intended. This is like the irony that someone pointed out the other day of. All this aversion to Russia and Russian influence, and yet the most popular Democrat candidate for president is a, a student and kind of a fan of the Soviet Union. Huh? Whatever happened to our, <laughs> yeah. whatever happened to yeah, our worry no, about kidding. the Soviet Union? We got Bernie here taking his honeymoon there and getting congratulated, you know. It's yeah, just, no, Matt, it, it, but it's just, it's just sheer madness. You couldn't make this stuff up. I know, I know, I know. We live in fascinating times. It, 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 if anybody if anybody drew this up as a movie script, they would say, well, you got to take that part out. Because yeah. No, one, no one's going to believe that's true. Guys, Look, there's, a lot, there's a lot. There, there's a lot good going on in this country, and the American people know that. I think so. I think so. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Bill. Wonderful stuff. Appreciate it. Brian Kennedy. Thank you. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. Talked about a lot of things in my opening comments and talked about many of the same things with with Brian at greater depth. But just uh, one thing I want to bring up again is this uh, horrible affliction of uh, uh, Rush Limbaugh, this uh, dread disease. Been friends a long time. I don't 
claim to be intimate with him now. I don't see him very often, hardly at all. Correspond maybe once every couple months. But always genial, always fine, always responsive. There was a time, 12, 15 years ago maybe, when we were very close. And I think, uh, as he said, I was one of his you know, really close confidants. It's when he was down and his spirits were down and had a you know, bad marriage. And then, uh, you know, it was just a lot of things happened. And then he had the hearing stuff, which right. we, which we t- talked about and worked through. Uh, then went to his wedding, which was, you know, just a, a colossal, unbelievable event with, you know, toast given by, see, was it Clarence Thomas and Al Michaels? Yeah. Yeah. Too bad folks to give. <laughs> and then the concert by uh, his friend, um, Elton John. Okay. All right. And uh, I remember Mrs. Bennett was dancing. Uh, I got out of her chair and was dancing. It was kind of a nightclub setting. Uh-huh. And this was a totally conservative group, pretty much, and... And so a lot of people didn't go. So only about 40 of us at this uh, special entertainment with Elton John. Wow. So it was really special. Yeah. It was wonderful. And, um, yeah, he, they, Elton John, uh, Rush visited Elton John, I guess, to the hospital or vice versa, and they became friends. Anyway, he did the wedding. He didn't do it for free, but did it. But it was a, a gorgeous ceremony, and it was at the Breakers in Palm Beach. And it filled the hotel, and it's a huge hotel. And Rush paid for everything for everybody. Wow. Everything for everybody. Mm-hmm. There were hundreds of people there. The whole world was there. The whole conservative world was there. But I don't want to talk about that so much as my friendship with him and what a good and decent guy uh, he is. And he is the guy from Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and has not stopped being that, although he is just so consequential. Uh, changed the world, changed the country. And um, we pray for him. I, I've been talking to people, and just people say it just we just don't know. It's doctors who just don't know, and he's not giving out details, so I right. see. But um, thoughts are with him, and uh, corresponded, and um, wrote him, and uh, I'll write him again. Anyway, you hope for the best. Well, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennettShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett and like me on Facebook to search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share this podcast with your family and your friends. We'll catch up next week.